You're listening to the Faith Matters Podcast with Steve McKinley. Hello and welcome to episode number three of our short series here on talking about the historical and archaeological evidence for Jesus of Nazareth. And this is week number three, and we have Tom back with us again. And this week we're talking about uh, historical evidence for uh, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Yes. And so I want to just open with a few verses from the pages of Scripture here. This is John chapter 30. It says, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Jesus cried on the cross. The last thing he said was, It is finished. And he died. And then over in Luke chapter 24, we read, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, some women, came to the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. And with these words, the writers of Scripture tell us um, the very central message of the Bible, uh, the center of history and uh, the center of the, the message of what God is doing uh, here in the world. And uh, this is God's salvation for us. This is what we pin all of our hopes on, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus hadn't cried, it is finished. Mm -hmm. If the work of the cross wasn't finished, we would still be in our sins. Mm -hmm. And if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, there would be no victory over death, and we there would be no life after death. Mm -hmm. And so everything in the Christian life hinges on this this is at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. And so this is a great topic, probably one of the, probably the most important topic we could discuss here, Tom. Yeah, it is. So, amen. Well, it, well, like we were saw last week when we were dealing with the extra biblical historical sources about Jesus, we saw that there are several references to Jesus's ministry and what he did, but also how he was crucified mm -hmm. by Pontius Pilate during the reign of the Emperor Tiberius. So, mm -hmm. you know, historically speaking, we know the death, burial of and of Jesus took place. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, you know, critics and skeptics of the Bible say, well, yeah, we believe he was crucified. Yes, we believe he's buried. But, of course, he wasn't resurrected, they would say. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. of course. Mm -hmm. But we believe, I believe as well, that he was resurrected and mm -hmm. in fact what we're going to see today is we're going to see some archaeological evidence that i believe helps back up the, the account given in the gospels of his death by being crucified of his burial and also even one bit of evidence that seems to point towards his resurrection hmm. and so we've got a good bit to go through here today and to try to uh, work through, but hopefully it will be a help to people. Okay, this is going to be great stuff. Hopefully. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So, we'll start off, you could say, with the beginning of his passion. That's, what, of course, what we call uh, the last few hours and moments of Jesus when he was uh, going to be crucified. And we see that after the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples went over to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane literally means oil press so the garden of the oil press hmm. so it sort of tells you what was going on there at gethsemane it was basically an agricultural center for the production of olive oil hmm. and so the bible tells us quite clearly that jesus would often go there when he was in jerusalem mm -hmm. to pray and judas iscariot knew that was the place he would frequent and so you say, well, where is Gethsemane? Well, literally, if you were in Jerusalem today and you were on the Temple Mount and you would look towards the east, just beyond the Kidron Valley, because after the Temple Mount, it goes into a valley. On the other side of the valley is the Mount of Olives, because there's plenty, there were plenty of olive trees growing there in the ancient world and still to this day. And, of course, with olive trees, you have, of course, olive presses and so on and so forth. So the Mount of Olives is just literally a stone throw away from the Temple Mount. Mm. 
Mm. So not far away. You can literally see it straight across from the Kidron Valley. Okay. Now, what we know is, is that traditionally and biblically, this is, of course, the site that's associated with Jesus praying in the garden where he asked, the, asked God the favor to take away, if he could and if it was possible, the fact that he was going to have to die on the cross. Because mm -hmm. Jesus, in his human nature, didn't want to go through the agony and suffering and the shame of all that was involved in being crucified. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a horrible fate. But, of course, he prayed not. He prayed ultimately. He said, forever, look, if you can do this, please do. But if not, let your will be done. Right. Which is a good example to us that, you know, we don't like to go through certain things. But, you know, sometimes it's God's will for us to go through certain things. Right. And the Lord did that. Mm -hmm. And so we know, though, that in the ancient world, actually only in recent times, they have done some excavations there around a site which is considered the traditional site of the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, you, there's a church there. There's actually a little sort of like a garden where they have a lot of really old olive trees. And some of them say that these olive trees date back to the time of Jesus Christ. Now, the thing is, though, the problem with that is, even though the garden's nice, and even though traditionally that is considered the site of where Jesus prayed and where he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, uh, you know, these olive trees probably weren't there, probably are not from the time of Jesus. The reason being that, reason being is that when the Romans besieged Jerusalem in 70 AD, they would have cut down all of the wood that was around, including the olive trees. Oh. And so most likely they're very old. We know they're old. But do they date back to the time of Jesus? Mm, probably not. But the point is, is that the Garden of Gethsemane is not just a specific little fenced off area. It was a region there on the side of the Mount of Olives. And we know it was used for oil production because they found Jewish ritual baths where they would go and cleanse themselves after they had done their work. Mm. And that was a very popular and religious practice in the first century. And Jesus actually alludes to the fact in the Gospels that they were obsessed with ritual bathing and washing. Right. They're mm -hmm. called mikvaot, mikvah in singular, mikvaot in plural. So they'd go down, cleanse themselves, and, you know, they would mm -hmm. consider ritually pure. So, you know, you can go. It's a nice place. I've been there. Are they the olive trees that Jesus would have seen? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe descendants of? Possibly, yeah. <laughs> but the point is, we Did, know... Do they last 2,000 years in general? I mean, can, yeah, well, can yeah. they, they all, last 2,000 years? Olive, year, really? olive trees can last a very long time, <laughs> so that's why some people wow. think they are. But the point is, is there's plenty of evidence to say that that place was used for olive oil production. Okay. Given its name, the Garden of the, of the Oil Press. Hmm. So, you know, just a little thing that sort of backs up the accuracy of what the Bible is teaching. Mm -hmm. But then we know that he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot and brought back into Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that he was put on trial by the, high, the religious leaders of the Jews, the Sanhedrin. Mm -hmm. And the high priests at that time were Caiaphas and Annas. Now, the thing is, there are two sites in and around Jerusalem which are considered to be the sites, possibly, now I say possibly, where Jesus was put on trial by, before Caiaphas and before Annas. Mm. There's one site which is just to the south of the Temple Mount called the Church of St. Peter in Gallicantu. Now, in, Gallicantu basically means the cock's crow. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's <laughs> mm -hmm. it's alluding to the fact when, of course, Peter denied the Lord three times. Jesus said that after when you deny me in the third time, the cock will crow. And, of course, Peter was ashamed and he went out and he was very upset. He knew what he had done was wrong and the Lord had even told him it was going to happen. Yeah, yes. And so there is a site there which has long been traditionally considered the site of where Jesus was put on trial. And then that night he was you could say, held in prison until he would be brought before Pontius Pilate the next day. Mm. And under that church, there's a big modern church on top of it, there does seem to be a holding cell where you a person could be lowered down into the ground in, in stone and kept as a prisoner. 
and there's some association there. There's like crosses that are engraved on the wall on the entrance to the to the cell area, and so a lot of people think that that's possibly where Jesus was held in prison for the night before mm. being brought to Pilate. Though there is another option that recently near, much closer to the Temple Mount, in fact, just to the southwest of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, they found what seems to be what they call a palatial mansion. In other words, a really big fancy house. Now, what's interesting about this place is it's very, well, in its heyday before it was destroyed, it would have been very expensive very well decorated. It's decorated with religious Jewish symbols like the menorah, you know, the seven-branch uh, candlestick, and other Jewish ritual things, mm-hmm. which implies that the building itself must may have been owned by a very high-up religious family, and possibly one of the Jewish religious elites. Okay. And so mm-hmm. some conclude it could be the house of Caiaphas <laughs> or Annas, Hmm. Also, within the house themselves, they've actually found these um, uh, more Jewish ritual baths. And there's a lot of them. There's several of them in one house. And so it makes a lot of people consider the fact that maybe this was the house of maybe Annas or Caiaphas. Hmm. Now, we don't know for sure, but based upon the size of it, its luxury, these Jewish uh, mikvah oats all over the place... It makes you think that, hmm, this could be a pl- it's the plausible. place. Yeah, and yeah. it's right next to the Temple Mount, which you would expect, you know, for a Jewish religious elite to be living nearby the temple. Yeah, yes. And so, you know, these are possibilities. You know, we don't have a sign. It'd be nice in the ancient world if they've encurved on it says Jesus was here, mm-hmm. or Caiaphas was here, or Annas was here. But, you know, sometimes we're working on, you know, putting pieces together. So we can't always be definitive. There's mm-hmm. a traditional site. There's a more modern site. But either one seems likely. Mm-hmm. So it seems reasonable enough. But what we do know, though, is an interesting artifact that was found, in fact, only in 1990. So only a few decades ago, hardly any time whatsoever, within my lifetime, in fact. Mm-hmm. In 1990, in Jerusalem, in the old city of Jerusalem, they found this ornate bone box hmm. and now mm-hmm. a bone box is also referred to as an ossuary mm-hmm. in other words a place where you store bones mm-hmm. and in the first century it was very mm. common uh, burial practice for a person to be buried and when of course their flesh is rotted away and all that's left is the bones the family would go in about a year later gather the bones up and put them in a bone box an ossuary Mm-hmm. And so in 1990, they found this ossuary, and it wasn't just any old ossuary. It was a very finely decorated and expensive ossuary. So this wasn't just for any old Joe. This was for someone important. Mm. Now, of course, you can't really tell who's buried in these bone boxes because oftentimes there's multiple people's bones in one box. Mm-hmm. They were very um, practical and economic with mm-hmm. their burial practices. To us, that seems a bit odd. But in, but in fact, there's some places in the world where they still use ossuaries. And they gather up the bones when the body is rotted away. Mm-hmm. But we may not do that here in Ireland other places, but other people do. But when they found this ossuary, right, what they found is on it, the end of it was an inscription in Aramaic. Now, Aramaic is... Uh, a lang- is a language that's ca- related to Hebrew. And Aram- on the Aramaic inscription at the end of the box, it contains the inscription of what is of a name, Jos- uh, Joseph, son of Caiaphas. Mm. Joseph, son of Caiaphas. Mm-hmm. Now, that is significant because with the inscription, Joseph, son of Caiaphas, in the bone box, they found the bones of a... Apparently a man who was about 60 years old. They can sort of tell by the development of bones how old a person is. I don't really know anything about that, but supposedly you can tell based on skull and bone size and density how old a person was when they died. Mm -hmm. Some experts know that better than I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what I've read. But what you see is, is that with this inscription, Joseph, son of Caiaphas, a 60 year old man buried in this box, 
And also, if you check in the account of Josephus's antiquities, remember we spoke about Josephus, mm -hmm. in his antiquities, he writes that, that Caius, Caiaphas's full name was Joseph Caiaphas. Hmm. Now, the thing is, it seems like Caiaphas was sort of like a family name. You know, okay. like today, you know, if some if your dad's called Joe, like in my family, if my dad's called Joe, my older brother's called Joe, you know, oh, right. uh -huh. names tend to go down. Uh -huh. And so Josephus mentions that Caiaphas's name was Joseph, was Joseph Caiaphas. The inscription states Joseph, son of Caiaphas. So hmm. names would tend to go on in the family, mm -hmm. passed down, you know, mm -hmm. you know, a bit repetitive, but that's how it usually is. Yeah. And so most scholars would say that this ossuary is most likely was owned and used and contains the remains of the high priest Caiaphas, mm. which the Bible speaks about, mm -hmm. Josephus speaks about. And so you literally have a character who would have met Jesus, and in fact, who would have put Jesus on trial falsely. Now, uh, do I have this right that uh, before this... <clears throat> Uh, people doubted <clears throat> that uh, Annas and Caiaphas were real people because yeah. there was no record of them yeah. outside of the Bible. Yeah. Um, uh, so skeptics would would uh, question their existence. But yeah. here now we have the name of Caiaphas. Yeah. And was there one that was found recently um, in the past several decades of Annas also, oh, if I, I remember correctly? I can't remember in honesty. No. I know Caiaphas for sure, but Annas, I'm not entirely sure in honesty. Okay, I thought I would have to go back and look, but yeah. I, I thought that yeah. was the case. But yeah. uh, but yeah. that's interesting. These are the kinds of details that the yeah. writers put in there that they really they didn't have to put those in yeah. there to make the story work. Yeah. But they did put in these uh, names, very specific yeah. things that uh, match up with actual historical yeah events and people that only a contemporary would know about someone who was there and would have possibly heard about or met these people would have known yeah so, so again uh as we've seen over and over as you presented your material mm. both now and in the spring about yeah. the old testament stuff it just all these details kind of place the writer right into yeah. the time frame of when he claims to be writing yeah exactly so which lends is credence to the writing exactly well of course we believe it by faith without physical artifacts but when you see a literally a box with the name of the priest who the bible talks about put jesus on trial it's very convenient yeah, yeah well you know i it can't it's just I mean, something that cannot be easily dismissed you right know? it strengthens the case and everybody has to do something with this evidence mm. is it coincidence no. not likely no, no. i believe it's a god incidence Yes, <laughs> in yeah. my, my opinion. Providence. <laughs> exactly. God, God, yeah, God did it. But, you know, <laughs> even just going on to another character who for a long time people sort of doubt whether doubted whether he existed or not is Pontius Pilate. Now, Pontius mm -hmm. Pilate was, of course, the incompetent and ultimately disgraced Roman governor of Judea. Mm -hmm. he, Caiaphas, uh, Pontius Pilate has gone down in history with for just not being a very good governor. And the problem with Roman governors, they were usually in the job to line their own pockets. They were corrupt, and they weren't always the best at doing their job. Mm. And Pontius Pilate, on several occasions, outside of the Bible account in the Roman historians, <laughs> has gone down in history with a very bad reputation. Mm. And so Pilate isn't just mentioned in the Bible, he's mentioned extra-biblical sources too. But... Interestingly enough, relating to the archaeology of Pilate, a, a, a while back in the city of on the coast called Caesarea Maritima, which was in the first century the Roman provincial capital of Judea. So the capital of, of uh, Judea was in Jerusalem, but the Roman capital was in Caesarea Maritima, beside the sea, Caesarea, Caesar, the city of Caesar by the sea. Mm. And what they found is there's a theatre there, and they were excavating the theatre. And, of course, in the ancient world, they were very pragmatic. They would recycle material, especially stones. And so they were excavating the theatre, and they got one of the seat blocks, and they sort of turned it over. And what they found on the bottom of the seat 
was an inscription which is mentions Pontius Pilate and that he was governor of Judea and that he helped to write that inscription and that monument. Hmm. And so they took the stone at some point and then just said, oh, this is a nice bit of stone. We can use it as a seat. Flipped it over. Boom. Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate. <laughs> As well, only in the past couple of years, they also found a ring with Pontius Pilate's name on it. Now, it probably wasn't owned by Pilate, but it was probably given by what, to one of his servants who had his authority. Hmm. So, you know, if you wanted to prove, oh, I'm working for Pontius Pilate, how would you do that? Well, here's his signet ring, seal ring, to say, I am from Pilate. So you hmm. couldn't just get them from anywhere. That was found in, at the Herodium which is south of, just around Bethlehem, south of Jerusalem. Hmm. That's only in the last couple of years. Wow. So we're finding like pr a lot of good evidence for Pilate. So he was a real figure. He wasn't yeah. a, a fictitious figure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and we, of course, know that he was the guy who washed his hands when Jesus was innocent and he knew it and he let him be murdered mm -hmm. because it was convenient Convenient for him to avoid a Jewish riot, yeah. and they also threatened to report him to Caesar yeah. as uh, allowing this yeah. Jesus who claimed to be yeah. the king of the Jews. Exactly. Pilate wanted to so. let him go, but the fact was, is Pilate had only just recently been in trouble with the emperor Tiberius, mm. and the Jews knew that, and they put pressure on him and said, look, if you don't tell, do what we want, mm -hmm. we'll tell Tiberius, and you're already on a... I have a bad rap with Tiberius. Yeah, and it actually says here in John yeah. uh, 19, I think it is, that uh, he was fearful yeah. when the Jews threatened him. He was he was afraid. Yeah. And then shortly after that, he brings out Jesus knowing he's innocent exactly. to present him for crucifixion. Yeah. He got pretty nervous at that point. Yeah. And that's probably that's the reason why he knew, even though Jesus is innocent, it was just convenient for him to wash his hands, mm -hmm. which, of course, was wrong. But, you know, without him having done that, Jesus wouldn't have been crucified yeah, and that, died for the sins of the world. Right. That also was in God's providence. Exactly. He didn't approve of it, but he used it and was in his sovereignty. He brought that to come to pass. Yes. But just now we move on to his crucifixion. Now, I've already mentioned previously in, my last, in the last podcast that there's plenty of historical evidence for the fact that Jesus was crucified. Mm -hmm. But we know more about you could say the art of crucifixion. Now, I don't, you know, crucifixion is a horrible, torturous way to die. It's an execution method, mm -hmm. which ideally would last quite a long time. Mm -hmm. It was literally designed to bring about the most pain and the most agony and the most shame before a person finally died. Mm. And so how were people crucified? Is there evidence of crucifixion, physical evidence? Well, there is. Because, in fact, in 1968, in Jerusalem, they found another one of those ossuaries. And they found it contained the remains of a young man whose name was John. He was presumably also buried with a young child, or the young child was buried first, because we don't know which happened first. But what we see is that he had been <coughs> crucified in the first century A.D., around about the time of Jesus. We don't know exactly when, but sometime around the first century. And the inscription on the ossuary states that he was crucified, with, died with his knees apart. You say, what do you mean? So he died with his knees apart. What does that actually mean? Mm -hmm. But the point that's being made is, is that actually is a reference to a method of crucifixion. Huh. Because there's not just one way to crucify someone. There's multiple ways you can do it. Mm. You know, people have studied this, you know. You know, weird thing to study, but people have studied it. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, we know that the Bible tells us that when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified by having his hands and feet nailed. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing is, to do that, to nail someone up to a, a cross and to have the, their body weight be held up by nails is extremely difficult. Mm. Like, you wouldn't just put a nail through someone's hands because, well, it, it would rip, rip you literally rip the hand to pieces. They'd fall off the cross. Huh. But the same is true for your ankles, too. And the thing is, what's of note here is that in the ossuary, they found some bones. And in one of the bones, the ankle bones, they found a big iron nail stuck through the ankle. Still in the ankle. Still in the ankle. Wow. And what they found is that he, his ankle had been nailed through the side. But to keep him, his body on the cross and his weight would not you know, tear him off the cross, 
He was nailed through his ankles with his feet apart on each side of the crucifix or the cross. And then they had plank like bits of wood to clamp him in to keep the pressure on him. On so on the outside. So you had the nail would go through a bit of wood, go through the ankle, go into the cross oh. on both sides. Oh, okay. And uh -huh. he may have been tied up or, you know, nailed up because you could just be tied up and that would do the job too. Huh. But Jesus was probably, you know, he was probably nailed through. He was, well, the Bible says he was nailed through his wrists. He may mm. have also been tied up too. Mm. So, you know, there was multiple ways to do it. But what you see is, is that this grisly bit of evidence actually helps to show that crucifixion was practiced in Judea in the first century, mm. just as the gospel accounts claim mm -hmm. it was the one of the ways romans executed their mm -hmm. criminals it wasn't a jewish method of execution it was a roman method right because the jews would stone people to death yes uh -huh. uh, and so i i find that you know a indirect bit of evidence to back up the historicity of the crucifixion mm -hmm. that's that's what they were doing at the time yeah exactly yeah so it helps to give us some insight as to possibly how Jesus was crucified. Yeah, it wasn't like a one-off torture execution just for Jesus. Yeah, yeah. That it's, would kind of sound made up, but yeah. it was what they were doing at the time. Yeah, it was common so. practice. Yeah, it was common practice for the Romans. Mm, interesting. Okay, while we're still on the topic of <clears throat> crucifixion, you know, not a nice thing to dwell on, but of course the Bible talks about the crucifixion of Christ. There is an interesting ancient piece of evidence that points to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And it's an inscription that was found in 1857, not in Judea, but all the way in Italy, in Rome, at the Palatine Hill. The Palatine Hill was where, on top of the hill, it was where the emperors live. Hmm. That's where the palace hill literally gives us the idea. And so on the Palatine Hill in Rome, they found a graffiti. So, you know, you look, walk around the streets there and you see graffiti all over the place as well. You know, the Romans and the Greeks and everyone were doing that. They'd scratch, you know, and, uh, inscriptions and signs. and All the way back then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it seems like, you know, some of them were bored and so they just took this. You see some marble places and they've literally carved different things in. They must have been very bored or First something. century hooligans. Yeah, first century. <laughs> Nothing's changed. Mm, as mm -hmm. the Bible says, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. But this inscription <clears throat> or graffiti... What dates to roughly about the 1st or 2nd century AD. We can't be sure exactly. But on this, on the plaster, they found a man had made this mocking representation. And on it, there's a depiction of a man. And there's a name beside it in quite in misspelled Greek. So they were misspelling things in the ancient world too. And his name in misspelled Greek is Alexa Minos. And it, there's a depiction of him with his hand raised and he's looking up towards a cross. And on the cross, there's a man represented, but the difference is, is the man has the head of a donkey. Hmm. And this man is nailed to the cross. Now, the thing is, what we see here is that someone came along and didn't like Aleximenos and he didn't like what he believed. And they knew that Aleximenos would have was worship was a Christian who worshipped Christ, and so he's depicting Christ as being a donkey-headed god. Mm, okay, so you know, very early on, Christians have been derided and mocked for what they believe. Mm. And for the Romans, crucifixion to believe in a god who was crucified was just humiliating. It was dishonourable because the crucifixion was the execution method for common criminals. Hmm. Spartacus, like when Spartacus rebelled and his gladiators followed him and others followed him, when they were defeated, the Romans crucified them. Hmm. It was the death of a very dishonorable death. You know, there was, you could say there were better ways for Roman, for Roman people to die. Hmm. And so this guy is like mocking Aleximenos and his faith in Jesus, who he depicts as a donkey headed God. Oh, okay. Now, what's of note is though, Romans called Christians by a specific name. They called them Asanari. Now, Asanari literally means in Latin, the donkey people. Oh. 
after an ass, basically. You know, we okay. still call donkey an ass today. They're the oh, donkey yeah. people. Hmm. And we know that because later on, the church forever Tertullian writes into the nations mm. chapter 11 that that was what the Romans used to mock Christians, one of many things. You're the donkey people because you worship a crucified savior who we think is like a donkey. So you worship a donkey, mm. which goes back to this inscription. Okay. Hmm. So this shows that in the first or second century, there were people in Rome who believed that Jesus Christ was crucified. And this guy is mocking that by putting this graffiti up. Huh, I've never heard of that, that yeah. piece of evidence. Yeah. That, that's fascinating to me. Yeah, and it, it's out there. It's been known for, well, since 1857. Hmm. But what's of note, though, is is under next to that graffiti, the guy who inscribed it was mocking. But then another guy seemingly saw it later on and came along and says, ah, wait, I want to add something here. And another guy in Latin writes, Alexa Minos is faithful. Oh, really? So you have the anti-Christian coming along who's mocking Alaximenos for his faith in who he considers a donkey god. Mm. But another guy says, oh, I, I like Alaximenos. He's standing by what he believes. He's faithful. He's not stupid. He's mm. right. Wow. And so all the way in Rome, we know that they was evidence for Jesus' crucifixion. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good evidence. <laughs> yeah, it is good evidence. And Strong evidence for... Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it goes along as well with the hostile sources we saw from uh, the Jewish mm -hmm. Talmud last week and from others. Mm -hmm. So when you put these things together, you know, no one, like I said, no one has realistically can deny the fact that there is a man called Jesus mm -hmm. who was crucified and who was buried. Mm -hmm. Now, because we believe he rose from the dead. Mm -hmm. They would not believe that. Right. But that's where we differ. But, to, you know, up until the point he's crucified, everyone will agree, yes, this happened. Oh, yeah. but no, he wasn't resurrected from the dead. Yeah. You know, but even though, like we saw last week, the Jews and others admitted that he did miracles. And I think as far as any event of ancient mm. history, I mean, this is well attested, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of events that are in the history books, we don't have this much evidence for, correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Like the... So the the life and ministry of Jesus Christ is probably one of the most well-attested um, uh, events in history. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of events and a lot of people that are that are believed to be true based on much flimsier and less evidence. Oh yeah, yeah, like literally. So, I mean, for for everyone today, I mean, Jesus needs to be taken seriously because mm. of this. Yeah. Because he was a man in history. Yeah. Because the events of the Bible, uh, as they're stated, the basic outline of the events did happen. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so the significance of these things and their meaning really yeah. needs to be taken seriously. Yeah. yeah, it should be taken seriously because like we're saying, it's not just in the Bible we're seeing this. this mm -hmm. It's in extra-biblical historical sources, mm -hmm. in the archaeology. Mm -hmm. And as time goes on, I believe more things will be discovered. Sure. You know, there are things mm -hmm. probably sitting in a museum now which could help even more strengthen the case, mm -hmm. but just haven't been looked at. Yeah, or in the ground. There's yeah. so much in the ground that yeah. hasn't even been looked at. But Yeah, it's, yeah. it's amazing. Nearly every year, multiple things come out that relate to the Bible, which continually show and vindicate what God's Word says. Mm. It's almost as if the Bible knows what it's talking about. Mm. Strange, what a thought. <laughs> Contrary to what you know, many try to play. <clears throat> yeah, it's not it's not a blind faith. No, uh, and that's something that gets thrown in our faces a lot. Yeah. Uh, to these days, is that we believe in a blind faith? Well, yeah. no, it's not. It's a well reasoned, yeah. a well evidenced faith that we believe. Yeah, exactly. God doesn't want us to leave our brains at the door. Right. He wants us to use our brains. Mm -hmm. And and you know, we base our faith on the Bible first, but hey. I mean, he did give us these his word, but he also graciously allowed these things to be preserved for us yeah. to, to help strengthen our faith. So Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we move on. Of course, we have seen some evidence for the crucifixion, the methods, and for Christ being crucified. But then, of course, the next event is he dies and he's buried. Mm -hmm. Now, the question is, where was the, the crucifixion? Where did it take place? And where exactly was Jesus buried? Now, of course, we know it was in Jerusalem. No mm -hmm. one's doubting that. But where was Golgotha or Calvary? They're two different names of the same place. Mm -hmm. Now, 
there admittedly there's been a lot of debate as to where the exact location of Jesus' crucifixion and burial took place. Mm. There's a lot of debate about it. And sometimes people get heated get very heated about it because of the fact they have their favourite place for mm. multiple for reasons mm. or different uh, motives or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as Christians, you know, we don't believe that, you know, we don't venerate an empty tomb. Mm-hmm. We don't venerate a place. We venerate the fact, we worship the fact that Christ came out of the tomb. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's not here. He's risen as an angel. <clears throat> the said. risen living Lord. Exactly. You know, we don't worship a dead Savior. We worship <clears throat> a living Savior. But right. it's, it's, you know, we know historically <clears throat> he was crucified. And within a short distance from his crucifixion site, there was, he was buried. Mm-hmm. The Bible was very clear about that. Literally in the same vicinity, he was crucified and buried very quickly. And so the question is, where was he buried in Jerusalem? Now, there's two popular sites which are generally considered by by people to be the site of the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus Christ, where his tomb is. One of them is the traditional site, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, or the Church of the Holy Tomb. That's Mm. the traditional site. There is also another place just to the north of it, just at the northern end of the old city of Jerusalem called the Garden Tomb. Or Gord- it's also referred to as Gordon's Calvary. Mm. You may say, why do they call it Gordon's Calvary? Well, we'll touch on that here in a minute. But the question is, you know, <clears throat> out of these two sites, which seems the most likely location? Now, I readily admit there could be it could be somewhere else in the vicinity of Jerusalem. A little bit of speculation yeah, involved. It's a bit of speculation involved. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's not something I think, you know, people, we should overly argue about or fuss or feud over, but it is an interesting thing to consider. Because <clears throat> it reminds me of what Jesus said, uh, that God is the God of the living, not of the dead. Exactly. And yeah. uh, so, you know, like you said, our hope doesn't hinge on the yeah. precise location of these these things. We're, our yeah. focus is on the Lord, the, yeah. the living Lord. Yeah. But it is, a, it is though a question that often I've been asked by people, where do you think Jesus was crucified and okay. buried? You know, and I it's said, an interesting topic yeah, to, it to is. think about. And, you know, it can cause a bit of controversy because everyone sort of has their pet favourite place, you know. Mm-hmm. But like I said, at the end of the day, it's not the, the most important thing. But what evidences are there for and against each place? Mm-hmm. First off, the Garden Tomb, Gordon's Calvary. It's a, I've been there. It's a very nice place. You go in, it's scenic, it's picturesque, it's very serene. It, it just feels like somewhere you want to be. And I admit, it's a very impressive place. Mm. It's, owned by, it's owned by a Protestant group who run it and who keep, well, keep it well maintained. They even admit that it's possible that it might not be the site. But they'll, they sort of imply that they think it is. You know what I mean? So okay. they can't uh-huh. be categoric, dogmatic, but, you know, they wouldn't own the site if they didn't at least think it was. Mm-hmm. But this is Gordon's Calvary. Now, what evidence are there for it? Well, firstly, mm-hmm. according to Hebrews thirteen twelve, the Bible tells us that Jesus was crucified outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. So he was taken outside the city. Mm-hmm. So the crucifixion and burial site has to be outside the city. And anyway, the dead would be buried outside of cities anyway. Generally, you wouldn't mm-hmm. bury dead in the cities. Mm-hmm. Now, Gordon's Calvary was close to the city and outside the city walls in Jesus' day. So, mm-hmm. you know, it ticks that box. Also, Jewish tradition, which is found in the Mishnah, which is also from the Talmud, which we spoke about last week, uh, composed about mm, 150 AD states that it was the site used for execution by stoning by the Jews. So people say, ah, the Jews executed people there. Jesus was executed. That's one another argument. Okay. Mm-hmm. The hill, you go there. <clears throat> Actually, it's a bit different today because for a long time, you can look at a portion of the hill and if you sort of Use your imagination. It sort of looks a little bit like a skull. Now, personally speaking, I sort of struggle to see it, but you know, I can see what they're getting at. It's okay. So you can sort of see the eyes, and you sort of see where you know where the original nose would kind be. Kind of like looking at the man and the moon, or something. Yeah, or looking at a cloud. You know what I mean? If you, oh yeah, you no. Know, but I can see what people are saying. So they say, look, that's Golgotha, the place of the skull. 
that looks like a skull. That's where Jesus was crucified okay. and buried. Mm -hmm. Also, there are old tombs nearby. Hmm. So, you know, it, there are reasons that it's a possibility. Okay. For some, anyway. But the problems are, I believe, with that location is this. Is that it became pop? It was only became popular as the site for Jesus' crucifixion and burial in the nineteenth century. So really, it's a relatively new site to be associated with the death, the crucifixion, the burial of Christ in his tomb. Now, why is it called Gordon's Calvary? Because basically, a British general called Charles Gordon, when he was on leave in the Holy Lands, he went there and he sort of, for uh, for a few reasons, said. That's Calvary. And so the name stuck, Gordon's Calvary. Okay. It was named after a British general who was on holiday in the okay, Holy Land. But that doesn't shouldn't carry a lot of weight. Yeah, I know. But you know, he he had his reasons, but mm -hmm. personally speaking, you know, you know, I'm I'm not dead set on them. Okay. But as well, Jesus, consider, was executed by the Romans by crucifixion, not by stoning. Mm -hmm. So the Jews, yes, they may have used that spot to execute people, but Jesus wasn't executed by the Jews. He was executed by the Romans, right. by crucifixion, not mm -hmm. by stoning. Mm. Now, some say that this may have been the site where where Stephen was later, you know, and Stephen the martyr was murdered by the Jews. Oh, okay. Possible. We just don't know mm. for sure. And also, people who have studied ancient tombs, you know, it's sort of like house building. You have different styles and different uh, construction methods for our houses, but the same is true for tombs. And when experts have looked at the tomb structure of the garden tomb, which is called considered to be Jesus' tomb, it actually dates to a much older period, about the 8th century BC. They mm. found other tombs from the 8th century BC, which they know are 8th century. They look at this one, they look at that one, and another one from the 8th century, and they look, and they're like the same. Now remember, when Jesus was buried, he was buried not in an old tomb, he was buried in a new tomb. Mm -hmm. And how tombs were built in the first century were a lot different. You know, of course, it's still a tomb, but how they did it was slightly different. It developed over time. Mm -hmm. So, mm, you know, I can see some reasons I'm not convinced. But put it this okay. So, personally speaking, I think it's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Now, mm. you go to there, and it is a very, to put it this way, a very religious building. You go in, it's controlled by multiple different religious groups, the Roman Catholic Church, the Greek Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox. It, it's literally divided up between different groups. Oh, okay. And you go in there, and it's a very hard place to make head nor tails of. Literally, it is a difficult place. Where you compare the garden tomb, serene, peaceful, it's usually very busy, it's hectic, there's people doing very, you know, they're, you know, they're kissing stones and that, and it's, you know, it's... Maybe just kind of hard to picture what it would have been like without all of that there. Yeah, exactly. As a place of execution. So. Exactly. And so the thing is, you know, some people are put off by that. But I believe there's more good reason to say mm -hmm. it is the site rather than the garden tomb. Now, it could be somewhere else, like I said. Mm -hmm. Personally, at the moment, this seems the most likely candidate. How do we know? Well, firstly, in the first century, it was also close to the city wall and outside of Jerusalem. So that ticks a box. Mm -hmm. Also, there are a lot of first century tombs located nearby. Okay. And its style and construction methods are right for the time. Hmm. So it was obviously a fur area in the first century where people were buried just as, you know, we would expect it to be. Also, later on, there is tradition, which is reported by Origen and others, that associates that place with the crucifixion and burial site of Jesus. You know, and it brings up an obvious question. Like, mm. today we have uh, markers by the graves yeah. with people's names on them. Mm. Did, did people put their names on the tombs at that time, or how did they, they identify them? Well, no, we there, there were there is evidence of from, uh, like, for instance, the Uzziah epitaph, which was like a memorial. They would sometimes put plaques above the tombs or maybe beside it oh, saying but not always not always it probably depended on who you were like you know if oh, you okay. you know they might not be able to afford to get someone to actually do the inscription ah. but there are epitaphs and there are you know uh stones that do have written records of who's buried there 
So mm. it probably depended. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, we know at the end of the day that this wasn't intended for Jesus' tomb. So, he, so of course, he was buried there quickly. Three days, three nights, he rises up. You don't need a burial plaque at that point. Right, you know? that's true. The body's, you know, hardly cold, you know, and he's risen uh -huh. from the dead, you know. It can be reused <laughs> yeah, by it, Joseph. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if he did reuse it, you know, may have done. I don't, I don't know for sure. Yeah. But I think what is more powerful argument, now for the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is that from very early on, from the 4th century A.D., Tradition claims that this was the site of the crucifixion and burial of Christ. Hmm. And what's of note is, is after Jerusalem was destroyed by the Emperor Hadrian in the second century, what happens is, is Hadrian deliberately built a pagan temple to Zeus and Venus on top of that site. And what we know is he did it because that location was so strongly associated with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he wanted to literally cover it over with a pagan temple. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. And what happens mm. then in the 4th century, when uh, in the time of Constantine, Christians in the region still remember that, that under that temple is where Jesus was, was killed, and he was buried, and he rose again. Mm, and what wow. Constantine then does, for all his good and bad points, he then came up, got rid of the structure on top of it, and literally and built a basilica church on top of it. And over the years, others were built on top of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so that's from the 4th century. Mm. Now, that's a lot older tradition than, of course, going back to the 19th century with, right. with Gordon. <laughs> yeah. Now, like I said, it doesn't go back, we can't, push it back further to the first century but that's a lot closer yeah than the ninth than the 19th century oh that's good evidence for yeah that's a likely location yeah per, um you know at the end of the day like i said you know i'm not going to fuss and feud and argue all the time over it because we worship a risen savior we don't venerate places or relics or mm -hmm. you know things like that but it's an interesting thing and you know what if it was somewhere else if it was in gordon's calvary or it was somewhere else that's fine because mm -hmm. the point isn't the tomb. The point is the fact that there's no one in it. Right. You know. And do we know there was no one in it? Oh. Is there evidence of that? Well, <laughs> well, besides the, besides the written evidences, which claim, of course, that Jesus was resurrected. Actually, you're probably going to talk about this. Yeah. One, but what's really fascinating is the lack of evidence. Yes. Of finding a body which the Jews would have just wanted to parade through the streets and say, look, everybody, we have his body. Yeah. He didn't rise from the yeah. dead. Yeah. But we don't have that. Yeah. And and the thing is, the Jews to this very day, they still say that they his stick with the story. they've stuck for two thousand years of the story. Oh no, the disciples stole, stole the body. His, yeah. A bunch of cowardly disciples who a few days before had run away for their lives, who were hiding. Mm -hmm. The tomb was scared by presumably by Roman soldiers. And the story of the fact that saying that, well, the, the Romans, if they were Roman soldiers, they fell asleep. If mm. Roman soldiers fell asleep on duty, they were to be put to death. Yeah. So we can't prove the resurrection of Jesus. Can we prove the resurrection of Jesus? No. But no. but uh, why didn't the Jews just produce the body? Why did they come up with this story about yeah. this very unlikely story yeah. about the disciples stealing the body? And the fact of the matter is, look, consider the testimony of the apostles. Mm -hmm. These are men who are cowards, but mm -hmm. yet something happened that changed them so fundamentally that they were willing to suffer Yes. And to go through great difficulties and physically gain <clears throat> nothing out of it. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, all tradition states all but one of them, John died a natural death, supposedly, all were died as mayors. Yeah. And two of Jesus' own brothers, James and Jude, yeah. who were supposedly unbelieving yeah. uh, before the resurrection, became believers after the resurrection. James became the pastor of the church at yeah. Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And Jude, is it that, that says of Jesus, uh, calls him a slave of Jesus, yeah. a, a servant or a slave of Jesus. Yeah. What would make you say that about your own brother? Yeah. And earlier on in the Gospels, they, they, they think he was, he'd gone mad. Right. They it, thought he was mad, and then after the resurrection, he's calling himself a servant or slave of his 
of his brother. Something changed. Something dramatically changed. They saw something big. Exactly. That, that changed them and made them believers. And so, like I said, you know, we can prove historically and archaeologically, I believe, you know, the death of Jesus, his crucifixion, and that he was buried. Mm-hmm. But the resurrection, you know, we believe it by faith. Mm-hmm. But is there evidence that may point towards the resurrection not directly because i don't think the romans or the jews would you know deliberately memorialize that sort of thing they would they would get under the carpet as quickly as it could yes (laughs) so there is an interesting inscription it's out there it's called the nazareth inscription now this was actually bought in 1878 so we don't know exactly where it came from but we do know it came from the area of Nazareth. So near, you know, Jesus, well, the town where Jesus was brought up, the town mm. of Nazareth. Now, this is a large inscription in Greek. It's written in marble. And in essence, this is a law. You know, in, you know, we can go on the internet and check things today, or we can go on our phones and check things. Well, if you wanted a law to be published, you would, you would create a, 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 st- a stele. In other mm-hmm. words, a big stone board and you'd write your law on mm-hmm. it and, you know, so on and so forth. So people who could read would be able to know the law. Mm-hmm. But this inscription appears to date to the reign of the Emperor Claudius. Claudius reigned from 41 to 54 AD. So, of course, after, Ty- after Augustus, Tiberius, then Caligula, then you had Claudius, who we mentioned last week. Mm. And it outlines a decree by the Roman Emperor that pronounces that anyone caught breaking into stone tombs or tombs that have been carved out of stone, so, you know, you'd have a side of a hill, you carve into it, you'd have a stone tomb, and who breaks into such a tomb and steals bodies out of such tombs would be punished with death. (laughs) Okay. Now, this is like a very out-of-the-blue <clears throat> law. Why is... Yeah, why Cla- the need for such a law? Why is the Emperor Claudius so concerned about writing a law about basically tomb robbing out of a stone tomb? Mm-hmm. This is specific. Why would he do that? Coming mm. from the Emperor. Mm. Not just anyone. Not Governor, not Proconsul. Emperor. Yeah. Now, people say, well, who was this intended for? Well, it was intended for the Jews. Firstly, because it was in Nazareth. Very Jewish, actually, in fact, a very um, uh, conservative Jewish region. Mm. You know, at that point in time, most of your Pharisees and that would have been, and your conservative Jews would have been outside of Jerusalem. Most of your liberal Jews would have been around Jerusalem. Yeah, and laws are often written to address specific issues and problems that exactly. cropped up. Yeah, and this obviously had to get the emperor's attention. So it was serious to get the emperor's attention. Mm. So this was intended for the Jews because it's found in Nazareth. Also, you may say, well, maybe it's for the Roman dead. Maybe the Romans were, you know, robbing bodies out of stone tombs. But no, no, no. Rome, the common Roman method of burying the dead and disposing the dead was cremation. Mm. They cremated their dead. It didn't mean they didn't bury them from time to time. But they normally cremated. Hmm. And also, the Jews would would bury their, their dead in tombs. Like I said, they would bury them for about a year. Then they would gather the bones up in an ossuary and reuse the tomb. Because tombs are very big and expensive. And families would continue to use tombs over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Not how we would often do things, but that's how they did it. Mm-hmm. It was very practical. But secondly... The type of tomb, which the law states is stone curved, so curved into stone and stone sealed, is also a very Jewish way of doing things. So like the Bible says, when Jesus was crucified, he was buried in a stone tomb and a stone was rolled over the door. Mm-hmm. Now, there's examples of first century tombs like that. We okay. have a good examples in and around Israel that can be dated to the first century. Mm. So this isn't intended for Romans. This is intended for Jews. Huh. Because it goes against the grain for how Romans would do things. Yeah. And it has been speculated, and it's a controversial artifact for very obvious reasons. Because it's speculated, even though the inscription does not mention the resurrection of Jesus, it has been thought by many that it may have been a reaction mm-hmm. by the Roman Emperor to the new to the increasing news of the resurrection reaching Rome. Hmm. 
And we know, of course, that by that point, we mentioned this last week, um, uh, of course, Aquila and Priscilla were, were Jews who, of course, were in Rome. But during the reign of the emperor uh, Claudius, they were Jews were kicked out of Rome because we saw in Suetonius that there was disputes about Christ in Rome, which were getting so, uh, uh, you could say, so um, uh, fractious and so problematic that Claudius kicked them all out mm. for a while. And then they mm-hmm. were brought back in later on. But he would have been a believer of the uh, stolen body theory. Yeah, he'd be. Yeah. And then he wrote a law to try to curb that. Yeah, seemingly. We don't know. It's an odd law. Yeah, it's that a, is odd. It's yeah. a very cl- written by the emperor for Jews to to deal with a very Jewish issue. But what? knowing that this theory was out there, yeah, floating around, it it fits. Yeah, and I, and it, it makes sense. The shoe fits mm-hmm. because probably what the emperor had heard is there's Christians going around saying that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was crucified, that he was buried, and that he was then rose from the dead yeah, and his thinking, tomb was I'm found empty. this in the bud yeah because he was a, put an end to this yeah because <laughs> he was a pagan emperor mm-hmm. you know and the jews would have also probably would have benefited from that right and so when you put the pieces together is this direct evidence for archaeological evidence for the resurrection of christ no but it seems to imply something serious was going on yes okay so what we've seen here in this podcast is how that there, I believe there is plenty of indirect evidence that helps to support the accounts given in the Gospels of Christ's death on the cross, mm-hmm. the events leading up, to, of course, to his death on the cross, mm-hmm. his burial and his resurrection. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you put these pieces together with the Gospel accounts and the extra biblical historical sources, I believe... You know, there's not any reason, good reason, for people to say Jesus wasn't crucified. Jesus wasn't buried in the tomb. Mm-hmm. Now, like I said, people argue about the resurrection. But no legitimate historian today really argues that, you know, says that there was no Jesus Christ. They wouldn't argue and say that there was no crucifixion that he was buried. And in fact, they will readily admit that there were claims that he rose from the dead mm-hmm. and that his disciples believed that. There's mm-hmm. plenty of good evidence for that. Yeah. So I think when you put the pieces together, I believe it's pretty convincing. Yeah, it's a well-reasoned faith. We have good reasons for believing what we believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, in effect, you have to have good, well-reasoned reasons for not believing, exactly. I think. Because, you know, you have to do like the Romans or the Jews and try to explain away all of this evidence. Exactly. So it's not a leap of faith, yeah. but it's a well-reasoned faith. Exactly. And so, well, thank you for sharing all of this. No um, and like I, like we've said the last two weeks, what this really ought to do is cause us to take the person of Jesus and his teaching about himself very seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, if, if Jesus did rise from the dead, mm-hmm. uh, then he is who he said he was. He is God in the flesh. He is the hope of humanity. And uh, his resurrection, his death and his resurrection do secure our salvation. Mm. And so let me go back to John chapter 19 where Jesus said, uh, it is finished. Mm. It's finished. And uh, Jesus' death on the cross was the sacrifice for your sins and for my sins. And Jesus said it's finished. Mm. His horrible, gruesome death on a Roman cross Mm. was the sacrifice that God required for your sins. And so you don't have to pay for your sins yourself. Jesus died in your place so that you wouldn't have to die and suffer for your sins. So don't suffer for your sins. Don't spend eternity in hell paying for your offenses to a holy God. Uh, receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. I really encourage you to get into the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of John, and just read it and with an open mind and an open heart and let it speak to you and find out what Jesus Christ did for you. Salvation is available for you if you place your trust in Him. And as we've shared here, uh, it's it's not a leap off a cliff mm-hmm. 
It's not a leap into the dark. It's a well-reasoned faith that we hold. It can be yours. Mm -hmm. And so receive Jesus Christ and salvation can be yours. Mm -hmm. But thank you. I hope this has been a blessing to you. I think we have one more coming up next yeah. week, right? Yeah, we do. One more and we're going to be dealing with uh, evidence for individuals who are in the new testament who are who are mentioned maybe my in a minor way who are not like the apostles or so on mm -hmm. and so there's important famous individuals mentioned in the gospels which we have extra biblical evidence for to, to further back up the historicity and the reliability of the gospels so hopefully you'll find that interesting okay fantastic okay. all right well thank you we'll see you next week Oh